So a massive welcome to Fran Corrigan to join us here on our Humans at Work podcast. Thank you so much, Fran, for being part of this. We are excited to see what this conversation brings us. And perhaps in the first instance, if you could do a bit of an introduction of yourself, um, who you work with, what kind of clients and what keeps you busy each day. Great. Thank you, Michelle. And thanks for the opportunity too. I've been really looking forward to spending a bit of time talking about this subject that I'm really passionate about. When I think about, um, you know, who I am and where I've come from, I always start with um, my sort of family life, if you like, because it's influenced and shaped who I am for the future um, in so many different ways. So I was the eighth born of nine children uh, and there's six big brothers, five of them older and um, two sisters and then a younger brother as well. And I think that really shaped you know, my um, idea of how to interact with people, how, to, how do you get along, how do you manage conflict from a super early age. So I, it was, it's not surprising that I came into the leadership space uh, in, in later years. But basically, um, my whole career was as um, in an HR, OD, L&D, uh, senior roles within Woolworths for 17 years. And then I had a bit of, a, a bit of an epiphany um, uh, about 12 years ago. And uh, with that epiphany, I made the decision to start my own consultancy called Ignite Performance. And essentially that consultancy with a couple of other people who are uh, part of the team, we help leaders um, get better performance, get better results working through people. So I think that's our difference. We're very much about results-driven leadership by working through others. Mm, that's great. And so how long now have you been running Ignite Performance? What? A whole 12 years. 12 years. Wow. So you've been a journey a it's been. That time frame. And yeah. what are the main sorts of clients you're working with through Ignite? Hmm. Yeah, so it, uh, it's a, a lot of um, government clients, mostly Australian-based and a lot of commercial organisations as well. There's no real defining industry. It really is about um, the solutions that they try and seek. And we tend to work with cultures who are interested in driving change, driving transformation, but always through people. Yeah, so that's the common theme. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it through humans. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Um, can you just share from the leadership space, what, what challenges do you think are the main ones that present themselves to leaders of people in organisations today? Yeah, it, it, and it's interesting because if I do a, a pre-COVID, post-COVID view, I've actually been doing a few, if you like, anecdotal polls with key clients just to see what they have found challenging through that time, what they think is going to be different um, walking into the future. And it's been really interesting because I think flexibility, Michelle, has always been a key part of and adaptability, a key part of a growing, thriving organisation. But now it really is about, um, you know, the, the strongest will survive if they are continually able to adapt but adapt by bringing their people along on the journey because it's been really a really interesting um, uh, insight for me listening to clients who are, who are talking about, you know, the productivity of their people, which in some instances has boomed, but the connectedness 
has reduced dramatically. And so for them, it's a, it's a balancing act to say, well, should we continue on with our, you know, our strategy of growth when we're not sure if we've got the, the hearts of our people? We might have the minds, but we don't necessarily have the hearts. So I think for me, the leadership challenges coming up it, it is really going to be about how do you balance making sure that your people are productive but also still connected because this remote working is not going to change for many of my clients in the foreseeable future. So it's a real challenge and a balancing act for many um, for many leaders. So the other thing that I'm noticing in and around leadership is that it feels like a more mature organisation that's more moving into the future of work needs to have more of a focus on, on leadership than what it does on management. But I'm mm. interested in your view on that and if you're seeing something similar well that's a that's a really interesting one because um it's almost individual in in some respects that so that there's there's key leaders who are absolutely seeing the opportunity to I guess the 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 why and the what haven't changed so being able to be visionary, being able to be able to engage and mobilise and bring people along on the journey to get results. That hasn't changed, but the how has changed for many leaders. And I guess the um, the ones that are going to be ahead of the curve, Michelle, are those that are considering how that how will change for them. And, of course, it's, um, it is all about flexibility uh, around the way in which they uh, engage their people and work with them in a remote sense. But there's also almost a, a sixth sense, an emotional intelligence um, gene that's required to understand where people are, are at, in what phase of their change journey uh, are they in and how do you then help them along on that journey? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that it's, you know, one thing that's interesting with leaders and particularly senior leaders is there's a lot of senior leaders that are still needing to focus on and learn and to develop human skills. And what I'd be interested in is what are some of those specific human skills that you're seeing in workplaces that really need some more development and more focus? Without a doubt, I think there's two things for me. Without a doubt, it is that uh, that I'm calling it a competency, but the competency of an of emotional intelligence, where you're able to uh, be self aware enough to understand where you're at in the you know the post COVID world and how you're responding to change, but also be able to uh, empathize with others on their journey and bring them along on the journey so we always knew pre-COVID that emotional intelligence was going to be one of the key skills um, you you know in terms of the the heads hearts hand movement for the future I think COVID has brought that to the fore because anyone can be technically adept it's a much different um, story to be able to um, engage, mobilise, interact, communicate, empathise over a screen. Yeah, that's true. It's another whole layer because you're one more removed from the actual person sitting in front of you. And I know I was chatting to someone else on the podcast interviews and they were talking about the difficulty of reading people through a screen yeah. as opposed to sitting in a room with them and, you know, being able to quite 
quite easily if you know how to do it, get the dynamic of what's going on in a room, but it's more and more difficult to do that through a screen. Yeah, and we and we know that that meaning of communication comes primarily through body language. And of course, that's missing as part of the, you know, the work from home remote uh, sense as well. Yeah. But that's a, that's a real challenge for leaders. But the other really interesting part of the post-COVID journey for leaders, I think that we're going to see a lot more of, Michelle, is this less dependency on um, specific roles um, so being in a sort of a, a square peg in a square in, in, in around whole roles and more around helping people um, harness what I'm calling their inner genius. So the strengths that they already have, helping formulate those and helping them promote those more than what they are now because in, in the future I think what we're going to find is the fluidity of teams is going to change. It's not going to be hierarchical as much as it is going to be about hybrid teams, project teams getting together. And, of course, that's going to mean people are going to have to be very quick about, you know, what are your strengths? What can we depend on from you? What are our gaps? How do we um, fill those? And, of course, there's the emotional intelligence link in order for you to be able to to, um, uh, interact and manage and get the best performance from people who are sort of, um, you know, coming together and, 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 and falling apart, you know, at different, in different times, in different ways through project teams. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think it's going to be that more opportunistic way that we gather together in different project teams related, et cetera, that will provide a trend to the whole future of work moving forward. I actually see a future of organisations that are massive organisations that have thousands and thousands of employees. I don't believe that's how it's going to be. Mm. Um, And we're seeing some shifts and changes in that kind of trend, but it poses interesting questions to things like what are organisations going to do with their big um, head office infrastructure in the middle of the CBD of whatever town they're in or whatever city they're in because it's not being utilised like it even was six or eight months ago. So it's going to pose some interesting just infrastructural and layout and connection challenges, I think, to companies. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, um, you know, you you wouldn't want to be in commercial real estate right now, yeah? Yeah. The wrong wrong game to be in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think um, from my perspective, the measurement of output and connectedness is going to be a really important part of the journey uh, in the future because it's not like you're going to be able to um, get together and connect as a team and, you know, eyeball people in a sort of a physical sense. So we're going to have to get better at measuring how people are feeling, how isolated or connected they are, how engaged they are, their, their level of well-being, along with, parallel to that, how productive they are. I'm, I'm getting a sense from a lot of my clients that they are, have, they are struggling with working out if somebody is working too much or somebody's, you know, sort of going under, under the line and not working enough. And, and they're really finding it difficult to get that sense without having that stronger connection. Of course, there's lots of, you know, project management tools out there, but I think there's, there's a different set of measurement tools for the future that yeah, enables us I to get that. And I think um, a big, the biggest part of that is how we as leaders and managers want to interact with our people. 
And until now, even though we might might say that command and control style management, you know, went out in the 80s or the 90s or whatever, there's still an awful lot of managers who like to manage in a command and a, a control style. And I think what I see happening is that has made itself redundant and that workplaces more and more are going to have to be more partnerships between adults and adults, not yeah. between adults and children, that sort of dynamic. So I'm yeah. interested in what you think about that. Absolutely. And I, if I can turn that on its head for a moment, I think the other side of that coin is uh, one of my um, clients was telling me that during COVID where he would normally have a culture of why from his team, and when we're talking about team, he's got a, a, a significant team. So it was, a, you know, pretty much culturally across the board. Whenever they tried to introduce anything new, people would say, why? Why do we need to do this? And he said COVID really switched that on its head and people started to say, well, why not? Why can't we get this, you know, IT stuff to work for us in one day when it would normally take six months? So that, that that's, the I think, the beauty of, um, you know, the change at hand. But to your point about uh, leadership and what might happen post-COVID, I have also had some uh, clients confide in me by saying um, that they have been disappointed with the way that their senior leaders have managed through the process and there is an intention that they won't be there for a long time. So I'm interested to see if we're going to get a massive shift in, um, you know, the ebb and flow of employment and people moving as a result of how they've been treated through COVID from a leadership point of view. I think probably as a result of how they've been treated, but I also see it as a result of you know, if we're kind of all in this drama together, all in this emergency, for want of a better description, you know, together, and there's nothing like a state of emergency or a state of fear, at least, to make you really consider whether or not you're in the right role and it's the right fit for you and it's the right organisation and are you actually living your life in the way that you're proud to and, and in a way that's aligned and I think we're going to see a lot of just natural rearranging coming from those elements of things as well. You're absolutely right. It's the great acid test of our time of how leaders respond under pressure. And I think that's for those that have shown that they care, that they tried to connect, that they tried to do their best by their people, even if they didn't get it right, I think that that will engender loyalty. But for those who said, we still have targets to hit, I don't care that it was COVID, I don't I, I don't care what you need to do, don't give me your troubles, that's, I think, where we're going to see some significant movement in the market. Yeah, I think you're right because people are saying life's too short and life is too short, you know, and and I think that's a real um, market adjustment that needs to happen because if you, you only have to look at Australian engagement rates, you know, looking at employee engagement rates of less than 30% on average across Australian uh, workplaces and it, it doesn't take a lot to say, well, if you were going to put a, safe, a new safety system, for example, into an organisation and you said it was going to work 30% of the time, would you accept that system? Of course you wouldn't. And yet every day we're accepting the, or we're tolerating 
the extremely low engagement of Australian humans in workplaces around us. And to me, I see that as the biggest workplace emergency that's just been not dealt with. Yeah, well, to me, that's a mindset shift, isn't it? It's it's about saying for some leaders, how important is engagement for me to get results? And of course, you know, for, for those who are on the team leadership side, we know that ignoring engagement of people will mean high turnover in the end. You might get short-term results, but at the end of the day, you will get a significant amount of turnover and low low morale. Yes, and I also wonder, like I'm seeing a big shift in the marketplace from organisations that are out there for profit only to organisations that prefer to define themselves as people, purpose, profit, planet kind of organisations where they have a broader concern than, you know, just just productivity. They're not just looking at productivity. And I'm wondering how that's going to influence the dynamic, particularly in terms of skills that are being sought after in the future of work. Yeah. What skills do you think we might need to be developing off the back of that focus? Mm. Uh, to me, they're, they're um, not so much skills around technical skills it's more around your ability to um to engage uh, others your ability to be resilient um in the face of adversity and your ability to to bring people along on that journey michelle i think that's uh going to be um really important to be able to identify transferable skills within your teams and then be able to celebrate those rather than ignore them. So, you know, the the whole idea about um, managing people's stress levels will be really important. I was um, hearing the other day about somebody who attempted to get in to see a psychologist. It wasn't a, 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 you know, it was anxiety, but it was a seven-week waiting period. And, the you know, apparently the lady apologised, the receptionist, to say, I am sorry, this is all very COVID-related. And so I think there's going to be a strong tail end to, you know, that sort of anxiety. And, you know, in, in the old days, you would just say, go and, go and seek help through EAP. I think our leaders are going to have to get a lot more savvy around managing, you know, those well-being issues like anxiety and like like stress. And and I think to me, the the one of the crux of those suite of skills is all around managing mindset, because I think mindset up until now has almost been by some leaders seen as a bit of an optional thing. Like mindset's kind of vaguely interesting and a little bit optional. <laughs> but you know, I think moving forward, the idea of managing it our own mindset and also managing other or helping to manage other people's mindset. Yeah, yeah, which which brings us straight back to the, the importance of emotional intelligence, I think, which is, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but but people think, oh, well, isn't that all about just your, your feelings? Well, actually, it's about the 26 skills, the competencies that help people lead and interact with others. So it's it's much more than just me understanding, you know, how I'm feeling and how that translates. Um, to me, it's it's a lot about how you can read uh, an individual and read the room, even if it is on a screen. And that's going to be a really important skill. So do you want to unpack emotional intelligence for us just a little bit? 
and give us a bit of an insight into two or three really specific skills that people would call emotional intelligence skills. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, the number one, there's four quadrants for emotional intelligence. And just quickly, one is around self-awareness. The other one is around regulating your emotions. The third is your ability to read a room. I call it the meerkat effect. So your ability to scurry away and then look up and say, what's going on? Yep, I've got the lay of the land and then scurry along again. And the fourth one is really about engaging others or influencing others. And for me, the most important skill, regardless of who you are and at what level you play at in an organisation, your your self-awareness is going to put you in good stead for your ability to work out what your your own genius is, how yeah. you can play along in the sandpit with other people, how you can get the best from other people when you don't when you're not coming from a position of power, uh, and and that all helps you get results. So you know, there's a some people go, isn't it a bit nebulous this whole idea about emotions and how does it connect with results? Well, actually, it is the one foundation for you to then use in order to get results through others if you like so take that quadrant of self-awareness and then we start to say well how if if we're clueless and we have really no insight into ourselves whatsoever and someone tells us one day we need to go and increase our self-awareness what would we do where would we start what's the what's where's the journey to something like that it's a very uh simple way of starting because it can be very um you know it's it doesn't take a lot of extra brain power to do this but the the exercise i give most people as a starting point michelle is around the old name it to tame it so na- being able to name how you're feeling in the moment is a really important skill and a stepping stone to then being able to regulate your emotions so as an example i wake up in the morning I have a really terrible start to the day. I jump in the car because it's one of those few times I actually have to go into work. Uh, I'm in traffic and things don't go particularly well. If I'm able to work out how I'm feeling in the moment, then there's a, a really strong chance that I can control that and not then take it out on others in terms of my frustration levels or, you know, um, you know, um, you know, how I how I interact with the very next person that I see. So that is a muscle-building exercise for your emotional intelligence, just simply being able to say, how do I feel in the moment right now? I'm not sure if you're aware, but on an average day, we have about 300 emotions in oh, a day. No, I wasn't aware of that. But we should be, we should be okay with naming a couple. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's... Um... I think with all of these things, one of the things that makes them tricky is we're just not taught them, you know. And if you think about it, it's not until you go through some leadership development program or some kind of high achievers program or whatever it might be in your organisation that you ever start to come across these tools or these ideas or these, you know, ways of being or learning, particularly if you're not someone who's super curious about life anyway. If you're someone who's just kind of, you know, sitting back, being a bit of a passenger in your life and cruising on through, then you probably haven't put yourself out to become more self-aware. So suddenly you kind of hit this wall going, oh, what does all this mean? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And if I can just um, extrapolate that example of 
if you aren't, if you haven't got a great um, sense of self-awareness and you aren't able to name those emotions, as a, as a very specific example, one of my uh, clients, uh, uh, an operations manager, felt like he'd got the wrong news from, you know, one of his senior reports about, you know, something that had been going on. And rather than thinking about, well, you know, what's going on? How am I feeling about that? How can I manage this emotion before I then tackle that with the individual? What he did is he shot out this just awful email saying, you know, basically, if you're not on board, then you're off the bus and you, know, you can go and take a hike. But in, And you can imagine the language. It would, I'm giving you the sanitary version of it all. And he lost people out of that email I'm sure when he thought about it three days later and he had calmed down it wasn't so much of a problem for him he was probably past it but for people that has a long-term effect on them and that's exactly the situation for him he actually people said why am I working with somebody like this that makes me feel like this I'm going to start looking for another job so having that ability to regulate your emotions enables you to then use them um, for good. So, you know, being angry at the right time in the right place with the right person for the right purpose is where you get you get leverage from your emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so true. And it's such a stark contrast to emotional unintelligence, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, yeah, the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. My, uh, my favourite metaphor for emotional intelligence and, and, and mapping it to your intellect, your rational brain, is this whole, whole idea, if you can imagine a seesaw, and on one end of the seesaw is your, your, you know, your emotions and the other end is your, your rational brain. If you can keep them in an equilibrium that by being able to be aware and regulate and use them for good, then then that you get the best of both worlds from a leadership point of view. But where things go askew is if you're not aware that your, you know, your um, feelings or your emotions are taking over and, you know, your, your poor old IQ just slides to the ground because we know that when you're in an emotional state, you aren't able to think rationally. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, so it's a... And, you know, there's so many stories of um, and examples that I can think of of people even who have been in conversations where they try to soldier through. The other person's really upset and they're crying, but the other person, you know, has the agenda and tries to soldier through that, that dynamic and that conversation without even... Um, giving the person space just to have a cry and then come back to whatever they're talking about. And they don't realise exactly what you said, that when you are in a heightened emotional state, your IQ is dropping down through the floor. So there's there's kind of some really basic elements that are worth being aware of in and around emotions. Yeah, absolutely. The other really important place where emotional intelligence comes to the fore is in the whole conversation of bringing people with us as a leadership team you know mm-hmm. if we don't have those nuanced skills like um you know listening or questioning or building rapport or you know those kind of drill down empathy those kinds of skills if we if we're not good at those we haven't developed those then we're not going to be able to bring along people with us and yeah. that's going to be a massive detriment for the whole business absolutely and if i could add one more there michelle it's also about calling behaviour 
that is, you know, not to standard. So I, I coach a lot of leaders and I, I still find that there's this whole sense of I didn't really want to have that tricky conversation with them or I thought it was just a once-off so I didn't bother addressing it. And really it's doing the individual a disservice if you're not able to help them recognise um, behaviour that, you know, isn't isn't serving them well or serving the team well or se- serving your res- results well. Yeah, that's, and I think that's that's really important. I don't know if you're aware of the Google research that's been done on high-performing teams or not, but the upshot of what they say is important. There's five different elements, and the core element is that they always talk about psychological safety as the underpinning. Mm. And I just think what you're talking about, the ability to not only to give feedback but also to receive feedback and to be okay with processing feedback makes a leader. You know, and you can tell if someone is all right about having a conversation about doing something better or differently or, you know, whatever than what they might have already done compared to the person who's super defensive and is not wanting to hear that or engage that and can't give feedback either. Yeah, absolutely. I think it all comes down to intention. Have you been clear that your intention is to help, not hinder, and it is the other person receiving the news because they understand that your intention is because you care for them because you care about them you know doing better or getting better and so it's it's really about have you been clear about why you're giving them the feedback or are they seeing it as a yeah I call it the 4b2 approach you know a smack across the head Mm. so it's you know really important to be if you have to make it really um clear what your intention is and obviously your tone of voice and the way in which you express is one of the ways in which you can do that really well. Yeah, that's right. And all of those things brought together lead for someone who is incredibly, I would say, collectively intelligent with all the intelligences, not just emotional intelligence. Absolutely, absolutely. So the last question I just wanted to ask you before we wrap up, Fran, is... If you could give a word of advice or a tip or a suggestion Mm. to all of our Humans at Work podcast listeners to help them survive in 2020, what would that be? I think um, for me it really is going to be about flexibility and adaptability to survive and thrive, Michelle. So being able to understand where you're team, your leader, your organisation is at and being able to bend and flex with that is is going to be um, pretty key. But what that takes is a a mindset growth. So you've got to be prepared to learn and to um, find your own, I I like to call it your inner, inner genius, find your inner genius, add value, learn from others and flex along the way. And I think that's going to to keep anybody in good stead, either as a leader or as um, somebody who wants to just be of value to an organisation. Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful wrap-up and description. And I just want to say a huge thank you for your time, Fran, and for your insights and wisdoms. We appreciate you joining us here at the Humans at Work podcast.